0: Matthew chapter number one, verse number 18, the Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother, Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject from cradle to crown. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Thank you for this Christmas story of your incarnation. We pray that you would bless us and help us as we present uh, the Bible truth of just uh, helping us to remember and understand from the cradle to the crown uh, all that you've done for us, and, Lord, especially what you're going to do. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would be drawn closer to you. Bless us and guide us. We pray if anyone here today... Is without Christ and has never been saved. I pray that you would speak to their heart and draw them as only the Holy Spirit can. We pray, Father, that we'd be faithful to the Word of God and communicate clearly and concisely so that you can use it for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. From cradle to crown, I really don't have an introduction. I think that uh, here at Christmas season, most of us are familiar with what Christmas is, so rather than having an introduction, I'm going to dive right into point number one, and that is we're going to talk about the cradle or the incarnation. Uh, Webster's 1828 defines the incarnation as the act of assuming flesh or taking on the body of a man and the nature of a man. When Jesus was born there in Bethlehem, he came down from heaven as God, pre-incarnate, pre-existence, forever eternal God, God the Son came down and took upon Him not only human flesh, but He also took upon Him the nature of man. And we thank God for that. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ taking on the nature of man, then there is no way that we could have an high priest that can understand and relate to us in our infirmity. Uh, Raul Howe, in uh, about 1905, made this quote. He said, to me, the incarnation means that Jesus walked both sides of the street at the same time. He had one foot planted in time and one foot planted in eternity. Very eloquent words. That's exactly what Jesus did. In time, he came down some 2,000 years ago. There was a time and a place there in Bethlehem. And when Jesus and her, or excuse me, when Mary and her husband Joseph, not Jesus' father, by the way, and let me say this to you, if you have a Bible version that reads his father and mother in any place, then please get a Bible that does not say that, because Joseph was not the father of Jesus. He was Mary's husband, but the child Jesus, Mary was of child of the Holy Ghost. It was a supernatural incarnation. He was born of a virgin. Look at verse number 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. His birth was prophetic of what would eventually become his life. Uh, Luke chapter two, verse number seven, the Bible says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn." Folks, this is significant. It is prophetic of what would become the life of the incarnate son of God. Notice it says he was laid in a manger. You know why that is significant? Because the Bible says that Jesus would become the Lamb of God. In John 1.29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. How prophetic, how appropriate it would be for the baby Jesus to be laid in a manger among the cattle because he would be the Lamb of God. The sacrifice, if you will all of the old testament levitical sacrifices where the priest would take and slay that animal for the sins of the people all those were were shadows and pictures to point toward the ultimate sacrifice and that is the son of god the lord jesus christ he was the lamb of god laid there in that manger in bethlehem i read in first peter chapter 1 verse 18 where the scripture says, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Listen, it's not religion. It's not money. It's nothing that man can do to earn his salvation, but verse 19 with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I declare to you this morning that Jesus, who was born of a virgin, the incarnate Son of God, that He came and He was born, He was laid in that manger because of the Lamb and His precious blood for the sins of mankind. Not only was He the Lamb of God, but the Bible says they laid Him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for Him in the inn. I don't know if it's because uh, there were so many travelers because of the taxation, and that's the reason that all of the rooms were booked up. I, I don't know what the circumstances were, but I guarantee you that God Almighty and His sovereign providence, He chose a day and He knew uh, it was predetermined that Jesus, that there would be no room found for Him. It's prophetic, folks. It's prophetic because that would become the life of Jesus. It seems like Jesus, his entire life, that man has always given him our leftovers. Isn't that heartbreaking to think there was no room for him in the end? And yet there are believers in Jesus, maybe some here today. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but there's really not any room for him in my inn. He was born, he was laid in a manger, but sadly there was no room for him, and that continues to be the case. He was born to be a king. Matthew chapter 2, you can look just across the page, it says that the wise men said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. In the cradle, he was the lamb of God, He was born to be king, but most importantly, he came down in order to become the lamb to take away our sins. Number two, I'd like to talk about the cause. When I talk about the cause, I think about the life that Jesus lived. We know that he lived 33 and a half years as a man on this earth. In John chapter number 12 and verse number 27, as Jesus is nearing uh, the end of his life and the cross of Calvary, he's praying to his Father and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. You know what I see here, brothers and sisters? I see our Savior in his humanity, dreading the impending cross that's just right days away in his future. He knew what he was going to experience. I believe that he knew the emotional rejection that he would suffer. I believe that he knew the physical suffering and brutality of the cross of Calvary. But if you'll recall, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that his sweat, became as great drops of blood. And you know what he said to his father? He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what he was dreading more than anything? He was dreading when he would bear our sins on Calvary's cross and his heavenly father to whom he had never, uh, never experienced one moment of broken fellowship. You know, if we go all the way back to the beginning, of the human race. God created Adam and Eve in the garden. And from the very creation, Adam and Eve enjoyed the fellowship of their Creator, of God Almighty. But then sin entered into the human race. Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. They partook of that fruit. They lost that image of God. They retained that likeness, but they lost that image because the moment that they sinned, spiritually they died and that death according to Romans chapter number five has passed on from every man uh, every generation ever since as the bible says in Adam all die I was looking I have a picture an old picture on my desk at home you know how they've got these little desk coverings that are clear and I've got little some pictures and little quotes and sayings and this morning, for whatever reason, maybe it's because of this message, my attention was drawn to an old picture that my, um, my sister gave me. Went all the way back. It's the only picture that I know of, of my biological grandfather. Uh, my, uh, biological dad, his, I didn't have any other dad. That was dumb. My, my, I may have sisters that are watching on Facebook. Hi says, I know that was dumb, but my dad's real dad, I never met. He died when my dad was about seven, uh, before even that, uh, long story, but my, to make a, a long story short, my dad didn't even know his biological dad. But I've got a picture of my grandfather, uh, and a whole group of people right outside of a church. I don't know if it was Easter Sunday or what, but they're all gathered. They're on the the side of the church. You can see the siding behind them. And I was just, my attention was drawn to that picture, and I could definitely see my dad's dad. I could see the resemblance between my dad and him. And I had known from what family had told me that my biological grandfather was not a very righteous man. Uh, pretty rough, and I was thinking about how that that sin nature passed upon all the way to me I, I I thought about how that the scripture says that God would visit the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation, and I was just thinking about god 's goodness and god 's grace on how that I could have a grandfather that could be that wicked, and I thought probably. Possibly my grandfather may not be in heaven. I don't know. I never, I don't know his testimony, but I thought about all of the, the, the testimony, the reputation that he had. And I think, well, my dad got right with God, uh, when I was still young and praise the Lord, I got right with God even younger. And I was just thankful for the goodness and the grace of God. And even though, for sure, my life has been far from perfect. I think about how bad it could have been if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God. You know, the Christmas season is a time of gifts, it's a time of blessings, and this isn't part of my message, but it's certainly on my heart to communicate to us all this morning to maybe get Get outside of our, or get out from underneath our circumstances, and at least spend some time, just rejoicing and thanking and appreciating God for all that He's done. I, I know that there's not a single one of us that could say that. Hey, life is just exactly as I want it to be. Life just turned out the way that I expected it to. I don't think anybody could raise their hand and say, "Oh yeah, my life's wonderful." We all have our challenges. We all have our problems. But you know what, brothers and sisters? It could be a whole lot worse. Maybe we just need to focus on the cause that Jesus Christ, He says, for this cause came I into this hour. Jesus took all of our sins, the whole human race, and He bore them in His body on the tree. And at that moment in time and space, God the Father in His holiness had to turn His back upon His Son. That fellowship between Father and Son was broken and it was the first time that Jesus had ever experienced that emotion. He knew it was going to happen. And He said, Father, please save me from this hour. But then He reminded Himself. He wasn't reminding God. He was reminding Himself. He said, for this cause came I Under this hour, don't you feel just a little bit privileged that Jesus would come and go through what he went through so that he could save you and I from our sins? When Jesus stood before Pilate in John 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. Watch these next words. He says, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. To this end and for this cause. Listen, the cause, the life of Jesus, it was a sinless life. It was a serving life. And thank God, it was a saving life. Shortly after World War II, had come to a close, Europe began picking up the pieces. Much of the old country had been ravaged by war and was in ruins. Perhaps the saddest sight of all was that of little orphan children starving in the streets of those worn, torn cities. Early one chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London. As he turned the corner in his Jeep, he spotted a little lad with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. Inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of donuts. The hungry boy stared in silence, watching every move. The soldier pulled his jeep to the curb, stopped, got out, and walked quietly over to where the little fellow was standing. Through the steamed-up window, he could see the mouth-watering morsels as they were being pulled from the oven, piping hot. The boy salivated and released a slight groan as he watched the cook place them onto the glass-enclosed counter ever so carefully. The American stepped inside and bought a dozen, put them in a bag, and walked back to where the lad was standing in the foggy cold in the London morning. He smiled, held out the bag, and said simply, Here you are. As he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. He looked back and heard the child ask quietly, quietly, Mister, are you God? Something about donuts and God, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He met our need. We needed a Savior, and He was the only one that could do the job. Mister, are you God? Jesus, are you God? Absolutely. What a wonderful life the Lord Jesus Christ and what a wonderful cause that He would come and save our souls. That brings me to point number three, the cross. His death. Philippians 2 verse number 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I think about the cross of Calvary and I think of one of the first gospel sermons that was ever preached after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. Peter's preaching in Acts chapter number 2. Verse number 22, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. We see here that Jesus was not martyred and he was not murdered. This was all done by the predeterminate and for counsel of God. But notice in verse 24, it says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary to pay for our sins, but praise the Lord, he was it was not possible for death to hold him. Why? Because he died for our sins and not for his own. Praise the Lord, he rose again that third day. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. And that brings me to my last point this morning. Number four, I want to talk to you about His return or the crown. If you would, take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter number 19. I feel like that so often we spend so much time focusing on the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, and certainly we ought to. We spent a lot of time focusing on his death, burial, and resurrection, and certainly we ought to. That is the gospel message. But here, this Christmas season, as we think about how that Jesus came, he was born to be king of the Jews. He has not yet experienced that crown. He died as the Lamb of God. He resurrected, and by the way... He is actively sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that He is making intercession for you and I. You have any problems today? I got good news for you. Jesus is making intercession for us. You have a need. You have a prayer request. You have a hurt that you just can't even put to words. Thank God. Jesus Christ, our high priest, he understands us. He understands God. He is holy. He is righteous. But yet, He is a merciful and a faithful high priest that can indeed be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Hey, you got some depression going on? Talk to Jesus because He's interceding on our behalf. He isn't sitting at the right hand of God resting. He is actively actively interceding as our advocate and as our propitiation. Thank God for that. What a wonderful Savior. But I'll tell you what excites me when I think about this world that we live in. Do you ever get frustrated with all of the injustices in this world that we live in? Do you ever get frustrated by our government? (laughs) Wow, we almost got Pentecostal on that one. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what the word impeachment means anymore. I think it's just a fancy word for disgruntledness. <laughs> it sure doesn't seem like a trial with evidence. I it, I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm sure that all of our problems we can blame on the current president, just like we blamed on the previous president. I, you know, whatever the case may be. I get frustrated with the lack of truthful information. I mean, it seems like everyone has their own agenda, and you don't know who to trust, you don't know what to trust, and I get pretty frustrated by that. But you know, the good news is, is that one of these days, we're going to have a king over the entire earth. And he's going to be a righteous king. He's going to be an all-knowing king. He's going to be a benevolent king. He's going to be a wonderful king. Wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The prince of peace. The everlasting father. What a wonderful thing it's going to be for God to be sitting on the throne of his father David. In Revelation 19, I want you to look with me at verse number 11. Remember, this whole story started out in a cradle as a little baby lamb laying in a manger, but I want you to notice what's going to happen in the future. Verse number 11, John, the revelator, if you will, God is showing him something that is going to happen in the future. This isn't just a vision. This isn't just, this certainly isn't a parable. This is him literally being transported into the future on the Lord's day and seeing something that's literally going to happen. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Hey, I got news for you. For me personally, this isn't a terrible thing to behold, to think about. This is a victorious thing to behold. This is the Lord having his day. He has subjected himself to the treatment of man for 2,000 years and he's coming back, not as a meek little lamb. He's not coming back as a prophet. He is coming back as supreme. Eyes as a flame of fire. Verse 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John knew what he was talking about in John one, 1 when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice in verse 14, "...the armies which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God." A rod of iron, folks. He's going to be the perfect, righteous, and the holy king. Oh yeah, he'll be good, but he's not going to put up with a bunch of nonsense. We think, well, I want my rights. I want my vote. When Jesus sits as king, the only right that we'll have is the right to do right. Now, as a Christian... I've already repented of the world that I used to be in love with. I've already repented of my sins. I'm looking forward to this day. I feel bad for the way that my Savior has been treated. And listen, He's not coming back as an unrighteous vengeance taker. He's coming back in holiness, and He is going to make everything right. Verse 16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, in Zechariah, we find a prophecy, chapter 14, verse number four. Zechariah said, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. If you could just picture this with me. Jesus is coming back. Eyes as a flame of fire. His hair is white like wool. He's got a sharp sword that's going out of his mouth. You've got armies following him in white linen on white horses and they come down from the heaven that has been opened. And as he comes down and he literally unmounts that horse, and his foot touches on the Mount of Olives. Without an earthquake, you're just going to see from east and west over here to the uh, to the east, you're going to see, um, excuse me, toward the west, you're going to see the east gate of the temple. And from that point, the Mount of Olives, you're going to look over here toward the east, and the, the ground's just going to start cracking. And then as soon as that crack is completed, the entire Mount of Olives is just going to remove, this half's going to go toward the north, this half toward the south, and it's going to create a big valley. And Jesus is just going to walk right into that eastern gate of the temple and he's going to sit down on the throne of his father David and rule planet earth, rule the human race. You know, when he sits down on that temple, Ezekiel says that there's gonna come, uh, there's gonna come some living waters out of that throne and they're gonna flow down that valley that was just created where the Mount of Olives was separated and those waters are gonna find their way down toward the Dead Sea. I mean, that Dead Sea that's just full of salt and God is gonna change ecology there and he's going to heal the waters and he's going to heal the land and all of the things that have happened in the tribulation period where this earth has been under earthquakes and disasters and God's judgment. When Jesus gets back, he's going to fix it all. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 63 verse 1, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, This that is glorious in His apparel, traveling in the greatness of His strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. He's coming back as a warrior king, not as a meek lamb. Notice now in verse number 17 of Revelation 19, where John goes on to say, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves under the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was taken. And with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before them, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Hey, ain't it great to be saved? Ain't it great to know that we don't have to worry when the King of kings and Lord of lords comes, we can rejoice because, praise the Lord, we're on His side. I'm glad I'm on His side, aren't you? He's been suffering from some 2,000 years. The media and Hollywood, they use His name as a curse word. They mock Him. They mock people who believe in Him. They belittle us. Try to say that we're schizophrenic and that we're foolish and that we're wasting our lives. But praise God, as they say, He who laughs last, laughs best. Luke chapter number 1 and verse 32 says, He shall be great and He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto Him the throne of His father David. In conclusion, this morning, I ask you a question. Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room? In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9, I want you to notice a very significant phrase. The Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, watch this, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, you should bow your knees and your heart to Jesus. You should confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You should Let God be glorified by your life. You should have room for Jesus. But should you choose to live a life for self and for pleasure? Should you choose to have Christ as your Savior, but not as your King? I'd like to show you Romans chapter 14 and verse number 11, where the scripture says, For It is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. I guess it's kind of like the old um, Fram Filter commercial. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. I have no problem confessing with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I have no problem confessing bowing my knees and from my heart saying, Jesus, You are Lord. Jesus, You are my Lord. You are my life and You are my Savior. But I wonder how many here this morning, if you could honestly say, yes, Jesus is my King. He's my Lord. He's the one that controls my life. He's the one that I serve. I don't just give Him penance on Sunday. He is my life and He is my King. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, He is my God and my King. You can pay me now or you can pay me later because one day, saved or lost, every single knee that has ever come into this world, every soul is going to bow. Isn't that going to be a wonderful event? I don't know how many billions and billions of descendants of Adam have ever lived upon this earth. I don't know the number. But can you imagine in the universe, in the third heaven, to see all of those masses bowing their knee? I don't know if it's going to be one at a time. I don't know if it's going to be all together. If it's all together, I want a front row seat, don't you? Hey, Beaver, can you get me tickets to that? (laughs) You can bow now. Or you can bow later. If you're afraid to witness to people because you're afraid you'll mess it up or, well, what if they don't get saved? Listen, everybody you witness to is going to eventually be a convert. It's not going to do us any good if we don't, if we're not a convert this side of eternity, but eventually every single person is going to believe the gospel. It's a win-win situation, brothers and sisters. Mary had the little lamb who lived before his birth, self-existent son of God from heaven. He came to earth. Mary had the little lamb. See him in yonder stall, virgin born son of God to save man from the fall. Mary had the little lamb, obedient son of God. Everywhere the father led, his feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb crucified on the tree. The rejected son of God, he died to set men free. Mary had the little lamb, men placed him in the grave, thinking they were done with him. To death, he was no slave. Mary had the little lamb ascended now as he, all work on earth is ended, our advocate to be. Mary had the little lamb, mystery to behold, from the lamb of Calvary, A lion will unfold when the day star comes again of this. Be very sure it won't be lamb like silence, but with the lion's roar. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for being our savior, for sending your son. To come down to this earth as a man to be the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for being obedient to the cross. Thank you, Lord, for your patience in saving us. Lord, as we close this service here in just a short while, I pray, God, that in our hearts we would recognize you as King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray if anybody here today is not saved, I pray that they would get saved before it's eternally too late. Father, I pray that as believers, God, that we would bow our knee and make you king and supreme. May we do it now and not just later. Have your will and way in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.